Good morning. How are we doing, Kings? We doing good? Dude, some, some of you slept. That was crazy. Like three hours, four hours, all nighter. I love it. Well, welcome back to my favorite part of camp being chapel. If you have your Bibles, turn again to John chapter 1, and we're going to be in verse, starting in verse 19. Man, I felt so rude last night. I was like, I introduced myself, but I didn't get to know any of you. So on three, I want you to yell out your names as loud as you can so I can get to know each and every one of you. So you ready? One, two, three. Sweet. It's so good. (laughs) He's like, I'm going to wait till everyone's done. I love it. I love it. It was so good to meet you. I'm so stoked to hang out with you again this morning as we get to dive back into our theme as we unpack what truth is in this theme of truth be told. If you remember, last night we began to unpack and look through who is and what is the truth of God. And we discovered that God always was and always will be, that he is all-powerful, that he holds the expanse of all creation in his hands, and with his very words, he spoke all things that are in being into being, and that he wasn't just a creator who simply made and stepped away. He's a creator who created and then entered in because he is a God who's all-loving and bound in relationship. And this morning, we're going to now begin to unpack the scriptures, the Bible that you and I have, the source in which we get our knowledge of God. So in other words, what we looked at last night, how can we trust the source, that of which we talked about last night? I'm curious, how many of you uh, still do book reports? Are book reports still a thing? Do we still do book reports in school? Yeah, okay. Uh, Fun fact, when I was like in second grade, I did my book report on holes and then I copy and pasted it for the next three years. Uh, Don't do that, that's cheating. Uh, But in this process, when I'm doing a book report on a specific person, what is the most accurate way to discover about that person? What's that type of book called? An autobiography, something that's written by that individual, a first-hand account. You see their handwriting. They get their thoughts on to paper, and that is exactly what we have in the written word of God. And that's what we get to unpack this morning. And we saw in the video that this book that you have in your hand is not a textbook. It's not just a mere look at cool sayings and phrases that you can post on Instagram, write on your athletic shoes or post on Facebook that no, 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 this book is the very breathing, active, living, authoritative, powerful word of God. And we've seen that throughout the course of human history. That this book, this word of God, was written on four different continents, spanning 40 different authors. Now think about that. They don't have phones. They're not texting each other to go, hey, I'm writing about this. Does that kind of connect with what you're writing with? Or a FaceTime call saying, hey, I wrote this verse. Does that connect with what you're writing with? Because I would hate to contradict you. I would hate to maybe write something that proves you wrong, but they didn't have that. And yet, even without that, we look at the pages of Scripture and every book of your Bible, the 66 books that are found in here, prove the others correct and true and infallible, meaning it is without failure 
that this book, this Bible, this word of God is unlike anything we have ever seen. A few examples that I'll unpack as we keep going. For internal support of this book, there's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about Jesus. Now, prophecies aren't just like fortune cookie wishes, right? They are someone calling the shot hundreds of years before an event is going to happen. It would be like me, again, a huge Golden State Warriors fan, someone in 1948 going, hey, the Golden State Warriors are going to win four championships in, 2000, in the 2000s, and then they get it right. There's 300 prophecies about Jesus, all of them which are fulfilled. We have external support. In other words, archaeology and history I got to see this firsthand. I got to walk in Israel and touch things with my hands that are spoken of in your Bible. I got to see the Sea of Galilee. I got to ride on a boat on top of it. I got to see the city where Jesus grew up in Bethlehem. I got to watch and see all these things that are talked about in your Bible. Looking at inscriptions that name individuals in your Bible that were written thousands of years ago. The names in your Bible aren't just made up names, but names of actual people who have lived throughout the course of human history. And we see this also in the discovery of ancient words, ancient texts that have been written down. How many have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls before? Okay, probably one of the most incredible discoveries of all time. And I remember sitting in the desert looking at the caves where these Dead Sea Scrolls were found. It's actually a crazy story. There was like a little shepherd boy watching his sheep just like throwing rocks into these caves. And all of a sudden he throws a rock and then he hears uh, pottery just shatter. And he's like, what the heck did I just do? And he walks up this mountain, walks into this cave, and he sees pots on pots and pots filled with what is the scroll of Isaiah that's in your Bible. And you can even go to Israel to this day and see it. Guys, it's not just opinion. It is truth. But why does this matter? Again, your Bible is not a textbook. It's not something you just pull stuff out of and take notes on for a grade. It's not a self-help book of, man, how do I just better my life and be the better version of myself? It's not fiction. It's not a story tell of like what happened in a fictional world. It is the layout of all of human history and it's all about who God is because at its core, the scripture, friends, is not authored by the heart of humans. It's authored by the heart of God. God partnering with the individuals he created to pen it. So this, this, this morning, I want to build a case for you and for me that the Bible is one inspired by God, that it's accurate, and because of that, it has full authority, and from cover to cover, the pages of your Bible whisper and proclaim the name of Jesus from cover to cover, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. So look at me at John chapter 1 verse 19. We're going to read through verse 23. And as I read, I want you guys to stand up. So stand up. Stand up as I read God's word. Just as we stand up in worship, we stand up at times as we read God's word to show reverence or worship. And it also gets our blood flowing and keeps you awake. So John chapter 1 verse 19 through 23. 
says this. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. In other words, John the Baptist is who he's talking about here saying, I'm not Jesus. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you're good. Lord, I pray as we have just a few moments this morning to unpack the beauty of your word. Holy Spirit, would you move in our hearts? God, I pray I would teach your word with the, the diligence and honor and reverence it so deserves. God, this is not a self-help book. This is your 66-book love letter to humanity that proclaims who you are. God, we love you and we thank you. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So the first key point I need us to understand about the truth of God's word is that it is inspired by God himself. Let's dive in and I'll show you what I mean. Look at verse 19, what we looked at. It says, this is the testimony of John, that being John the Baptist. For those of you who don't know John the Baptist, he was the cousin of Jesus and his whole mission, his whole life's goal was to proclaim that Jesus was coming to save humanity. That was his whole goal. And so he's in the desert talking about this truth. And while he is out there, we see these priests and Levites come to ask John the Baptist, John, who are you? Now, before we get into the description of who John is, who are the priests and the Levites? Well, the priests and the Levites were pastors, in a sense, commissioned by God to teach the word, to know the word of God on behalf of the people. They would lead them in sacrifices to atone for sin. These would be your pastors, your leaders, your camp speakers of the day. And they also dedicated themselves to the reading and understanding and teaching of the scriptures. For them, it would have been the first five books of your Bible. See, they had them memorized. You guys might have memory verses. They had five books of the Bible memorized. Good thing we didn't do that to you. Memorize Genesis. Uh, but look at this. This is who shows up to the scene. And I think this gives good context and reason for why they would ask John a very interesting question. They ask him, are you the prophet? So in the first five books of your Bible, it talks about one is going to come who's going to set the captives free who's going to obliterate slavery in terms of sin and is going to redeem and ransom, in other words, rescue people out of darkness to be back in union with God. And so they're going, is John the one who is to come, who we've learned about, who we've memorized in the scriptures, who's going to come? The one that we looked at last night was the word, who was in the beginning with God. The one who in Isaiah 53 said would be crushed and oppressed and afflicted and killed to pay for the debt of sin. 
says this, listen to this. For he grew up, speaking about the one who is to come, this Messiah, this Christ, for he grew up like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken by men. Isaiah calling the shot that one is to come who will actually be cast out by those whom he has created. And it sounds a lot like John 1 as well. John 1 writes, A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, like one whom men hide their face and who was despised, and yet we did not esteem him. So Isaiah saying one's going to come that's going to pay for the sins of the world who's actually going to be cast out by the ones whom he has created. John 1 attesting to that fact that there is one who's going to come who's going to experience this. So what the heck does that have to do with the Bible being inspired by God? Friends, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, was written 700 years before Jesus even entered the scene as a baby. Picture that. 700 years before Jesus himself was born, Isaiah calling the shot. There is one that is going to come who's going to rescue us from darkness. Not only that, we look at the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, written 600 years before Jesus steps onto the scene, says that one is going to come from the line of King David. And if you follow King David's line from the Old Testament to Matthew chapter 1, we see that Jesus descends all the way back from David. Again, Jeremiah, 600 years from Jesus busting on the scene, calls the shot. And I want to be very clear about what prophecy is. Again, it's not a fortune cookie. How many of you like love Panda Express and getting fortune cookies for days? They're awesome. It's my favorite. Like I remember opening one. It was like, hey, you will make a friend. I was like, thanks. I don't have any friends. It's awesome. Or, hey, the first person you see is going to be the love of your life, which was just weird. Because like I look and there's like some old guy like in line. I'm like, this is strange. This can't be true. Or I got one, which was my favorite, ask your mom. And my mom was like, that's biblical truth, pen that, ask your mom. Uh, but I think we have some weird versions of prophecy. I remember one time, I was in the, the Target bathroom, and in the stall, someone had the passion to carve with a knife in the stall. I don't know why people write on stall bathrooms, by the way. It's just weird to me. But he just takes out a, 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 a knife and is carved in the stall. Jesus is coming back May 18th, 2018. And I was like, well, it's May like 12th, 2019, so I guess I missed it, right? Like, that's not what prophecy is, is the process with 100% accuracy. Do you know the grade it takes to be a prophet? 100%. You have to be right 100% of the time, and that is the case of all prophecy in your Bible, and Jesus himself would go on to fulfill not one, not two, not three of these prophecies, but over 300. Let me put that in perspective for you. That is the probability of 10, one in 10 to the 17th power. By the way, I do not like math. I'm with you. But what does that actually look like? For Jesus to just fulfill eight of those prophecies, Eight of those 300 would be the same probability of me taking one of you, putting you in a plane, 
and you parachuting into the state of Texas, and the state of Texas is covered knee-high in silver dollars. And on one silver dollar is a, a little sharpied your name on it. And then I blindfold you, and I say, you have as much time as you want. Traverse the whole state of Texas and find that one silver dollar with your name marked on it. And you have to find it the first time or you lose. You'd be like, yeah, dude, fat chance. That's eight prophecies. Jesus would go on to fulfill 300. Friends, your Bible isn't just a bunch of good ideas. It is inspired by God. That can only happen by God's penmanship. Not only is it inspired, it is accurate. Again, going back to prophecies, some might say, oh, well, Jesus just manipulated prophecies. He knew what the Bible said and then just went and did them. Well, how did he answer the prophecy to where he was going to be born? How many of you chose what hospital you were going to be born in? Wow, liars. But like, think about it. Like, I was born in Ventura Memorial Hospital on January 19th, 1992. I had zero control over that. That's all mom and dad. Thanks, Raleigh and Elaine Berg. Awesome. Jesus had zero control that he was going to be born in Bethlehem in a cave. And yet, in Isaiah 7, it proclaims that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And it comes true. And he's going to be born of a virgin. But not only his birth, but his death. I don't know how I'm going to die. I hope it's like skydiving, doing something radically awesome. But in Psalm 22 and in Isaiah 53, it depicts and talks about the death of Jesus, that he is going to die on a cross hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented. Again, prophecies calling the shot. And it was absolutely accurate. So not only is your word of God inspired by God, it is accurate, which then leads us to the conclusion that if it's inspired and it's accurate, it is authoritative. It can be trusted. It has authority over how I live my life. Look back at our text in John. Look at verse 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him and said to him, why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Again, the one who's going to come to rescue the people. And John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the one whose sandal I am unworthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. And the next day, he, being John, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John, in verse 29, that famous saying, that famous truth, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, up until that time, the Israelite people, the people of God, relied on sacrifices at the temple to pay for their sin, to simply be a covering until they sin again. But what is Jesus? Jesus is the lamb that's going to come that will be slaughtered, not to just cover sin, but to take it away, to rescue us from darkness. So my question is, how the heck did John know who Jesus was the moment 
he saw him. Friends, it's because John knew his Bible. John knew his first five books of the Bible. He knew what the prophets said in Isaiah and Jeremiah. This wasn't John's opinion. This was the authority of God enlightening to John that the person coming is the Christ, is the Savior. 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21 says this, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. In other words, someone's opinion. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So friends, the Bible is inspired by God. It is accurate to a T, and therefore, the Bible has full authority over our lives and the way we do life. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture, not some scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Not some, not a little, all, every single page of your Bible authored by God. So not only is it inspired, not only is it accurate, not only is it authoritative, your whole Bible, friends, from cover to cover, points to Jesus. Your Bible is all about him. And let me give you an example. In Acts 26 through 40, you can find this story. There's a guy named Philip. And Philip was a follower of Jesus. Jesus has died, risen again, ascended into heaven. And he's given that, uh, the decree to go make disciples. And so Philip is on this road and he runs into this Ethiopian guy on the road. And this Ethiopian guy, all he has is a little bit of paper that has the book of Isaiah on it. And the Ethiopian looks at Philip and goes, what the heck does this mean? And you know what Philip does? He sits down next to him and he goes, let me talk you through who Jesus is. And Philip does not start in Matthew chapter one. Philip goes all the way back to Genesis and walks. We have creation, it's perfect, it's awesome. And then something happens. Adam and Eve disobey and eat of the fruit. But my friend, that's not the end of the story. In Genesis 3.15, God proclaims that one is going to come who's going to crush sin and make us alive together with God again. Philip, I can just see him going to Exodus, talking about Moses saving people out of slavery. And Philip looking at the Ethiopian going, hey, that is a picture of what Jesus did for you and for me out of sin. Picture Philip going to Judges. Judges is a book in your Bible that's all about people God raises up to rescue people out of slavery. But in every single circumstance, those judges seem to fail. And Philip going, no, one's going to come that is going to be our perfect savior. Friends, students, all scripture whispers the name of God. It is the perfect word of God calling the shot to the perfect son of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. So what then? Why is this so vitally important to understand about God's word? It confirms what we learned last night of the character of God. That we can find it in the pages of the Bible and know that it is true and we can discover the depths of the heart of God through the pages of your Bible 
Two, we can rest our eternal hopes on the truth of the pages because it proclaims an, a firm foundation and an unmovable truth. I don't know about you, but it seems like everything in our lives except the kitchen sink is changing. And the word of God stands like a pillar in the storm that you can cling to, unchanging. Isaiah 40 verse seven says, grass withers and flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Three, it proves that you can't just pick and choose verses out of the Bible that you like and toss out verses of the Bible that you don't like. How many of you guys have learned about Thomas Jefferson in your history classes? Yeah, pretty brilliant dude, except for if you were to look at his Bible, Thomas Jefferson, it's actually on display, cut out with scissors all the miracles in his Bible because he didn't believe they could happen. And I would say if you do that, then there's no hope for life because the resurrection in and of itself is a miracle. Friends, we just don't get to pick and choose. How many of you like Chipotle, right? Okay, all you are my friends, all of you. If you didn't raise your hand, we'll pray for you. It's okay. <laughs> but the Bible is not a Chipotle line. Sweet, I'll have some beans, I'll have some rice, I'll have some, uh, no, I'm skip, skipping the Mitch fajita veggies, like, and yes, I'll take guacamole, I know, et cetera, right? Like, we can't do that with the Bible. Every bit of the Bible is authoritative. Every bit of the Bible is inspired. Every bit of the Bible is accurate and whispers the name of Jesus. And every word of it is tested. Proverbs 30, five through six. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will reprove you and you'll be proved a liar that this stands alone. And again, the whole Bible, cover to cover, points to a Savior that you and I so desperately need. It points to one that's going to come, that's going to break chains, that's going to shatter the sting of death, that's going to set captives free, and that is Jesus Christ. Friends, look at me. I hope this week the Lord begins to demonstrate to you that this isn't a book of good ideas, that this isn't a book of cool sayings, that this isn't a book of fairy tale stories, that this book is the essence of human history from cover to cover that proclaims and shouts the name of God, that points to a central savior that you and I so desperately need. It is inspired, it is authoritative, it can be trusted. And I hope that this week, that the Holy Spirit would do a work in you, that this book would come alive for it is living and active, amen? Amen, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you're good. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the power of it. I thank you that you authored it and you've given it to us as a gift of love. Jesus, I just pray, Lord, would you just ignite a fire in our hearts this week. God, that for those of us, maybe for years, have come to your Bible, God, is a callous uh, lack of understanding, not wanting to understand, viewing it as no way this could happen. God, I pray, Lord, would you just light in us, God, a, a reverence for your word, a desire to read your word, to know your word. Father, would you write your word on the tablets of our heart, as you say in Jeremiah. God, I pray your word would do exactly what it says it is, that it would be living and active this week, sharper than any double-edged sword, cutting to the very core of who we are. God, I pray a blessing over these students and counselors. Go with them today. 
and help us discover the depths of who you are. God, we love you in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.